Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Well, happy Easter to you or um, for the more holy among us, Resurrection Sunday. (laughs) There's all the church kids. (laughs) It's so good to be with you and uh, I'm so glad to share this time with you. Let me say a quick prayer before we jump in and, and then we'll go to work. Father. Thank you for your word and for the power of your word. Thank you that you meet us in this moment with your actual self. This is not just uh, rote or routine. This is not just emotionalism or religion. But that today, right now, Every person in this room and every person on the other side of that camera can have a life-changing encounter with the living God. And so we ask, Spirit, now that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I know to be universally true. Universally true, without argument, without dispute, Without resistance, you and I want to be free. We want to be free people. In fact, freedom is so culturally understood and so culturally embraced that there are a litany of songs that have been written just about freedom. In fact, one of my favorites, uh, and I'm going to date myself a little bit here, is from 1985, when R&B artist Bobby Womack crooned, all right, you got some Bobby Womack fans in here. The rest of y'all, that's how you came into the world. Uh, someday, we'll all be free. Keep walking tall. Hold your head up high. Lay your dreams right up to the sky. Sing your greatest song and you'll keep going on. Someday, we'll all be free. Take it from me. Take it from me that someday we'll all be free. Womack is not the only one or or the first even to try and capture this innate and often unspoken human desire. In fact, for those of us who are rock fans, you'll remember the words from that great song by Queen, I want to break free. I want to break free. And the civil rights movement, of course, was characterized by what? songs about freedom. And so I think I can say unequivocally without without hesitation, without resistance, without pushback, you and I want to be free. However, there's a challenge. And that challenge is multilayered and it's quite complex. And the first complexity to you and I being free is do we have a shared definition of what free means? In fact, according to 
Merriam-Webster, there are about 15 different definitions of freedom, starting with not taking up with commitments or obligations, my favorite, and ending with open to all comers. Not sure what that means, but it's in the dictionary. And the complexity with this is that when there are so many definitions of freedom or definitions of what it means to be free, then the danger of adopting the wrong perspective is incredibly high. In fact, in fact, people pressure influences push us toward things that ultimately entrap us under the guise of the promise of freedom. What do I mean by that? Well, credit cards give you freedom to spend until you find yourself in financial bondage. And drug and alcohol, they, they promise you a freedom from stress until perhaps you found yourself in bondage to addiction. University promises us that it is the path to future freedom. But many of us are so bound by student loan debt that we feel anything but free. A promotion promises you freedom through opportunity. But often it comes with a schedule that actually robs you of life. The list could go on and on, and I could go on and on, but the reality is, and, and the point that I hope you would grasp, and, and the thing that you cannot miss today, is that if there are promises of freedom outside of that which God promises, very often it is not truly free. There will be a cause. And in the end, we will often be left, what, not free. And how does that leave us feeling? It leaves us feeling conflicted. It leaves us feeling uh, torn up inside. It leaves us with a sense that, that we trusted in this thing that promised this end result and it did not actually fulfill that reality. And, and, and we want to be free. I believe that you want to be free. But the enticement and the pull toward things that entrap us is so incredibly strong. In fact, I was having this conversation with someone who's very close to me. And they said that they live with this internal conflict where, where they know that the thing that they're chasing is not going to actually make them free, but to resist it feels almost insurmountable. And I stand right there with you, struggling, struggling to embrace what it is that we were created for, which is to be free and have life to the fullest. And for years, I was trapped in a cyclical nightmare, if you will, of seeming freedom, only to return to bondage of every kind, all while hoping, while hoping that the next relationship, the next situation, the next decision would actually give me the freedom that I was searching for. And many of you are new. You don't know my story. But suffice it to say, I did not always serve Jesus. And in fact, my anti-serving of Jesus was probably more extreme than several of you in here right now. Because I didn't grow up in or around church either. And so, my life was characterized by chasing things that I thought would give me freedom. From relationship to relationship, athletics at the bottom of a bottle and at the top end of 140 miles per hour on a motorcycle. And at no point did I ever feel free. I just felt enslaved to the next experience. 
In fact, I've been living so recklessly, gripped by guilt and shame, that one night I fell almost into my own life at the bottom of a bottle. And I woke up the next day and and, and I didn't know what to do, but I remember that there was this little church, and the only reason I knew that this church existed and where it was is because it was between two of my favorite bars. And I walked into that church, and I heard the music playing, and the pastor of that church walked right up to me. I had never met this man before in my life. He walked right up to me, and he grabbed me by my collar, and he said, when are you going to stop running from God? And I wanted to play the tough guy. But I stood there for a moment, and as those words washed over me, I found myself broken, and I said, I don't no more. Because I was tired from chasing illusions of freedom while finding myself in perpetual bondage. What he said to me that day is that, Everything that I was searching for, and it's the same thing I'll say to you right now. He said to me that day that everything that I was searching for, everything that I was looking for, everything that I desired, what was actually underneath this, this unending hunger, this unending thirst, this unending desire, what was actually underneath it could be found in Jesus. And I believed him. I believed him. And I have been believing that for over 20 years now. I believed him that the freedom that I was chasing would never be found in the places that I was looking. And for the first time in my life, I was able to acknowledge, to be honest, and I hope to invite you into that level of honesty today, to acknowledge and to be honest that everything that I was looking for and everything that I was chasing, every new relationship and every new opportunity and every new promotion and every new position and all of the status that I was seeking, all of it was actually just a confusing and conflicting desire to be reunited with the one who made me. All of it was trying to terminate in Jesus so that I could experience the only thing that he could provide, which is true freedom. And so if you tune out for the next 20 minutes or so, here is the thing that is most important for you to let seal to your heart today. The whole point of that opening is true freedom is only found in Jesus. And that's coming from a man that has experienced Far more than I should have. True freedom is only found in Jesus. And every other place that you look and every other place that you go and every other thing that you do, looking for freedom, you're not going to find it. That was what was underneath the words of Bobby Womack. That was what was underneath the words of, of, of Queen and, and, and their desire to break free. That was the torment that Freddie Mercury lived in. He thought that the fame would make him free. He thought that the praise would make him free. He thought that the drugs would make him free, but it only ended in more bondage. And so if that is the cry of your heart today, and I believe that it is, well, this is the truth that you must receive, that true freedom is only found in Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of the way of Jesus, or maybe you're in a season of deconstructing or reconstructing or trying to figure out what you believe, I know how that can come off because I used to sit exactly where you're sitting. But if you just give me a little bit of trust, and maybe you don't even know me, so I'm asking in faith, give me a little bit of trust. 
I can show you why this is true. In fact, the Apostle John recorded Jesus as saying twice in the same little section of his gospel, and you will know the truth, and the truth will, what, set you free. And then a few sentences later, Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Of all my church kids out there, you are free. Look at that. I'm going to have to get y'all lost and get y'all found. You are free indeed. Now, here's the context of Jesus saying these things. He was in a robust dialogue that we don't have time to unpack. He was in a robust dialogue with these Jewish people and Jewish leaders who had been following his ministry. Okay? They had been following his ministry, and they had seen him do all of these miraculous things. They had seen him feed. Uh, I know many of you have heard the story of feeding the 5,000. It was actually closer to 20,000. It's 5,000 men plus the women and children that were with them. So they had seen him feed all these people. They had seen him raise a woman from the dead. They had seen him in a woman's uh, issue of blood. They had seen him do all these miraculous things. And so they were fans who thought they were followers. They were fans who thought they were followers. And so to leave nothing to question, Jesus instigates this conversation. Okay? That's who Jesus is. I don't know what picture of Jesus you've ever gotten, but I was listening to my Bible this morning. And this person came up and asked for healing, and Jesus is like, you faithless generation, how long will I have to deal with you? I'm like, dang, Jesus. I was a little strong. But I don't want no smoke, so you, you do you. So Jesus instigates this conversation and he says, listen, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. I'm going to insert this now. I know I'm going to get there later, but I'm going to insert it now just, just so that you can put your mind around it. I'm going to say it this way. If you abide in my word, then you are truly free. This is what he's saying. That... that that you guys are fans, not you guys, I'm talking about them. I would never talk about you that way. <laughs> you guys are fans, but you're not followers. And because I'm Jesus, not me, him saying this to them, because I'm Jesus, I know that you like the things I do, but you don't want to listen to the stuff I say. You like when I pull out that, that Jesus juice. Keep the party going. But you don't necessarily like the words I say. How do we know that? You can look back at John chapter 6, where Jesus was like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Chill, 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 chill. Now, he was using that as a metaphor, as a euphemism, but it says many of his disciples left him that day. So Jesus is meeting him at the point, meeting them at the point and saying, listen, I know you think you're with me, but to truly be with me means that you abide in my words. It's not simply a prayer to be prayed. It's not an idea to which we mentally ascend. It's not a religion that we learn how to operate in. 
It is not a philosophical school of thought that allows us to have our best life now. It is a decision to believe that the things that Jesus has said permeate the soul such that they become our rule of life. In other words, following Jesus means being faithful to his word and his will and his way. And so to these Jewish people who have professed verbally faith in Jesus, well, Jesus turns and understandably for them tries to indicate what real faith does. And what real faith does is one, one, allow the words of Jesus to completely permeate the soul, and two, real faith perseveres. Real faith perseveres. Real faith is not about fandom. You see, when, when I'm just a fan, as soon as you start losing, I'm going to stop following. Okay? Now, now, I'm not, I don't want any smoke, but I need to say this. The most disappointing part about being an Atlantan now. I'm being serious. Y'all need to do better. Your team could be down by one touchdown. You leaving at halftime. I grew up with bags on my head. Saints. Bags. And you just rolled. 100 degrees. You got a bag on your head. You know how traumatizing that is for a child? I remember going to my first Hawks game. First, we moved here. First Hawks game. The arena was empty till the middle of the second quarter and empty again in the middle of the third quarter. And they were winning. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. As soon as you think I'm not winning, or as soon as you think I'm not going to play the game the way you want to see me play the game. Then my concern is that you will just exit stage left. But if you'll lean into this persevering faith, if you'll lean into this persevering faith, if you'll abide in the words that are coming out of my mouth, then there are glorious consequences, Jesus says. And the first glorious consequence we already read together. And that is true freedom. In fact, let's read it again. He says, uh, if you abide in my words, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The glorious consequence of abiding in the words of Jesus, of being a follower, not a fan, is that you and I will know the truth and the truth will make us free. Now, the question you should be asking yourself is how does truth make one free? How does truth make one free? Well, there's a couple of definitions here, and we're going to walk through all of them so that you get the full spectrum. If you're a note taker, this is your moment. This is your time. <laughs> you see, first of all, that word truth there, oh, it pains me to even say this, in the Greek, is aletheia. Aletheia. And aletheia is not reduced down to defining truth as one idea over another. Don't miss this. Aletheia means uncovered, unconcealed, 
revealed and reality. That's what that word means. Uncovered, unconcealed, revealed, and reality. Okay, now that you understand that, here's what Jesus is saying. The first thing he's saying is that holding to his word and his will and his way will lead us to understand what is true. Okay? It will lead us to understand what is true about this world, about ourselves, and about God. In other words, and take this as a grain of salt if you with a grain of salt if you wish. This is Jesus' words. You and I cannot know what is true about God or self or the world or others if the lenses that we are looking through is not Jesus. We can't know what's true. We can't, and that's how we've ended up in a postmodern world where phrases are popular like live your truth. Well, what if my truth is slapping people on sight? That's my truth. Why are you doing that? Just living my truth. You don't even know that man. I know, but I'm living my truth. What if that's living my truth? What if that's living? So so we got to be careful when truth becomes negotiable and circumstantial. Because either it's true or it's not true. And if it's my truth, then it might not be truth. Because if the definition of truth is founded on how I feel in the moment, am I the only one in here that's ever felt untrue? I mean, seriously, having conversations like, man, now you know that's a lie. Yeah, but I'm going to believe it, though, because it made me feel better. Can we keep it real? Can we keep it, can we keep it a buck? Believing lies is sometimes more comfortable than facing the truth. And so Jesus is saying, listen, despite what you may think, you can't even know what's true unless you're looking at it through me. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying, that he is reality. Jesus is reality because he is the truth incarnate. How do I know that? It came out of his mouth. I am the way and the truth and the life. So he is the truth incarnate. Incarnate. He is the one that came into the world, John chapter 1, full of grace and truth. So he is actual reality. And whatever reality we're living in, if he is not in that reality, it is not reality. That's the first thing Jesus is saying here. The second understanding that Jesus brings to bear is that because of truth's intimate connection with him, then those who believe in him must not only abide in his word, but there is a spiritual and metaphysical union happening between the believer and Jesus. In other words... In some way that I cannot fully explain, Paul actually didn't do a great job explaining it. No offense, bro. Um, But we are in union with Jesus such that, this is the crazy part, 
such that when God, if you are a follower of the way of Jesus, if you are united with Jesus, such that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see your last failure. He doesn't see your faults. He doesn't see your brokenness. He doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your history. He doesn't see what somebody else called you. He doesn't see what words have been spoken over you. He doesn't see the lies that you're believing about yourself. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying here, that if you would believe my words and, and, and actually follow my way, then you will be united with me such that when my father sees you, he sees me, which makes you completely secure. Third thing, under this idea that Jesus surfaces is held in this, this understanding of aletheia as uncovered or unconcealed. And this is going to be one of the harder ones. And this is going to require a great deal of honesty from you and from me. You see, the reality is that there is so much of our lives that we live concealed, purposefully concealed, purposefully covered. So much of our lives are lived covering things of which we are ashamed, concealing things that we would rather people not know about us projecting things that we want people to believe about us, projecting image, projecting status, projecting togetherness. And I don't mean togetherness. I mean like you got it together. How you doing, brother? I'm blessed and highly favored. Your Twitter account says otherwise. You've been going off for days. We live concealed lives. Why? Because concealment is the prison that shame builds for us. And guilt is the gatekeeper. And so shame and guilt keep us concealed. Jesus says, I'll take it. And when I take it, you don't have to be ashamed anymore. You don't have to be guilty anymore. You don't have to be concealed anymore. I will take your story and paint a more beautiful future from it, no matter how broken it was behind you. No matter how broken it was behind you, let me show you what I can do with it in front of you if you would just. There was an incredible freedom in being able to be the same person in every room. There's an incredible freedom in being able to be the same person in every room. Why? Because my identity is tied to who Jesus says I am, not about how you feel about me. And that's freedom. And that's what Jesus is saying. You would not have to stand on the pretense of your ethnic heritage, Jews, if you understood that that's not what makes you special to God. What makes you special is that he just chose you and put his hand on you. And if you understand that, then you can live uncovered and unconcealed. The final thing that Jesus surfaces in this seemingly simple statement is their correction of their understanding. And I alluded to it already, their understanding of freedom. You see, Jewish people believe that 
a man is made free by their adherence to the law. That a man is made free by their adherence to the law. And Jesus is trying to tell them, no, 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 you got that backwards. You see, everything that you have read and memorized was pointing to me. And so it is not the words on a page that are going to actually make you free. It's the living word in front of you. That if you would trust me, then you will experience true freedom. Now, here's the assumption, and I hope you're tracking with me. If Jesus is offering freedom, then what's the assumption? That these people are, in some sense, enslaved. That we are, in some sense, enslaved. And, and they were smart enough to get the implication, and they were not happy about it. In fact, look what they said to Jesus. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, here was their mistake. Number one, if you look back through their history, you can see that Israel was enslaved to just about every world power that ever existed. Starting with Egypt and right up to Rome at that time. You see, what they have interpreted, don't miss this, Ooh, don't miss this. What they have interpreted Jesus as saying is that he was offering them some type of political freedom. And that's not what Jesus is extending to them. When Jesus said that the truth would set them free, he's not talking about political freedom. He's talking about an inner true spiritual freedom, not dictated by being the descendant of Abraham or any other circumstantial subjugation. In other words, you could be in a situation that you don't feel like you can get out of, but if you're in it with Jesus, you're actually free. You're actually free. And that's what he's saying here. Now, their last word right here, how can you say that we shall be free? It's actually, I'm not, I'm not inserting that. When you read, and again, I'm nerding out here for a minute. When you read it in the tense, it's actually quite ugly and challenging. In other words, who are you to tell us that we're enslaved? Oh, we've never turned to Jesus like that? Who are you to tell me that I need more from you and less from myself? Who are you to tell me that total dependence on you is what's going to give me life? That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. But what they've missed is that they're talking to Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus tells them, again, you don't get what I'm saying here. When I tell you that you're enslaved, what I'm telling you is that by virtue of being human, by virtue of being human, you sin. You sin. And, and anyone who commits Sin, for well, they're a slave to sin. They're a slave to sin. Now, even if you're not a follower of the way of Jesus, we know this word, right? There's even a great Netflix show called The Sinner. First season was great, second season got weird. But there's a general cultural knowledge of this word, but I want to unpack it anyway just for a minute. Sin can be defined as actions, thoughts, comments, or acts that are immoral, selfish, shameful, harmful, alienating, listen, or otherwise diminishing to the image of God in you or another person. That is what sin is. 
And here's the other reality that the Pharisees didn't seem to get. You see, they thought that their activity was covering their heart and their holiness. But Jesus tells them, no, 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 no. We have all sinned. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has sinned. Some of us sinned this morning on the way here because Atlanta traffic be testing your patience. These people have no will to live, right? We all sin. We all sin. And the unfortunate thing that, that we have a difficulty admitting is that when we sin, unless we have someone who can set us free, we become enslaved to that sin. You know what I'm talking about. I don't think I even need to elaborate or drag it out, do I? You know what I'm talking about. Where you feel habitually trapped in self-destructive behavior. Where you ask yourself over and over again, why do I keep going back to him? Why do I continue to hang out with these people? Why do I keep showing up at this job that I hate? <laughs> because it's nurturing something that you want to hold on to. Did you know the Bible says sin is fun for a season? It says that. I wish somebody had told me that. For a season. But guess what's at the end of that road? Enslavement. And that's what Jesus is trying to explain to them that no, 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 no. If you sin, you are a slave. You are unable to escape its clutches. You're habitually prone to do things that prick your conscience. And you know it and I know it. Small things and large things. And so for Jesus, the ultimate enslavement was not to Caesar. It was to sin. They're worried about a political enslavement. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to set you free for an eternity. Get your eyes off your circumstances and on to me. He continues with the analogy. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs forever. What he's saying to them is that you don't have to remain a slave to sin. You can choose to. And if you choose to, despite your phylacteries, look it up later, despite your religious practice, despite your Jewish zeal, despite your understanding of the law, despite your memorization of the word, despite all of these things that you believe has made you more than you are, despite all of these things, if, if you are a slave to sin, then you cannot be in the family of God. You can't be in the family of God because you cannot be a slave in one house and a son in another. And so the invitation that Jesus extends is for them to be free, for us to be free, to be liberated from the tyranny of sin, to be truly free, free from guilt, free from shame, free from condemnation, free from feeling trapped. And free to life, free to joy, free to freedom. In fact, what we see in Jesus' words here is that freedom defined, remember how we open, how do you define freedom? Freedom defined is not the liberty to do whatever we please. Freedom is finally having the liberty to do what we know is right. 
the only way we can experience that freedom is if Jesus provides that freedom for us. Now, if you're investigating a relationship with Jesus today or, or trying to figure out this whole church and Christianity thing, let me tell you, this is the heart of the matter. This is it. This is at the center. That the reality is that freedom the way our host culture so often defines freedom is not actually freedom. And you know it and I know it. You know it internally. You know it innately. No matter how many times we turn to it, it never gives us what it promises. And so what does Jesus say? I will give. I will give. What you're doing may feel good for the moment. It may look good for the moment. But it's not true freedom. But if you will trust me, if you will trust me, then the demands that that master makes over your fate and your future, I can end it. And I can give you a future flourishing and of hope and of joy. And so he says, look to me today, look to me today, look to me today. I took all of the world's dysfunction and I swallowed it up in an ocean of mercy and grace. Look to me today, Jesus says. The one who never sinned but was made to be sinned so that you and I could be the righteousness of God. And so if we are stirred today, even just a little, what do we do? What do we do? This is an invitation to all, but particularly for those of us who maybe we're unsure of where we stand with Jesus. Here is the call. Follow Jesus today so that you can be free forever. Follow Jesus today so that you can be free forever. Follow Jesus today so that you can be free forever. That is the invitation that he is making. Admit that all of the versions of freedom are counterfeit. Admit that all of the versions of freedom are continuing to bind us. Admit that, that for once in our lives we can be honest and say, I know I thought that was going to free me, but I got there and I knew right away that this is not abundant life. But Jesus says, if you follow me, if you trust me, if you lean on me, if you abide in my word, if you accept my grace, if you stand in my mercy, you will be free and nothing will ever enslave you again. That's the promise. That's the promise. Now, maybe that feels like a bit of a tall order. I understand. Especially if this is your first time in church or your first time in a long time. Or maybe you're, you're right on the bubble. But you're not quite ready to commit. Here's what I would say. If you're not ready to follow the way of Jesus today for the rest of your life, then journey with us as you discover whether you will or whether you won't. This church is a place where you can belong and be loved even before you believe. We stand on that. You can belong and you can be loved even before you believe. And so as you are trying to figure out what you believe, don't do it in isolation. Do it with people. Do it with people who will walk with you and love you. In fact, we're kicking off a new series next week called Simple Money, Rich Life. I think it's going to bless your life. Okay, I think it's going to bless your life. Commit to the next five weeks and see if Jesus makes himself real to you. Because the reality is, in him, we're going to find the freedom that we're looking for. We're going to find the freedom that we're looking for. And if we don't follow him, the only alternative is to wake up tomorrow morning with more false versions of freedom that never fulfilled the promises they make. So I hope you would choose the first. I hope today you would take the leap. Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up tomorrow really feeling completely free of any guilt you've ever felt? Can you imagine what it would feel like to wake up tomorrow completely relieved of shame of any kind? Can you imagine 
what it would be like to wake up tomorrow and go to work and know that you can be the same person in your house as you are in the office. The same person in your home as you are on campus. The same person in your neighborhood as you are in the gym. This is the invitation of Jesus to walk in true freedom. And I hope every single person in this room and on the other side of that camera will take his invitation today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now in the name of Jesus that you would make your word alive and real and transformative in our hearts and in our minds. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that for those who are teetering on the edge of belief, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Pull them toward you now. Make yourself real. And continue to make this a community to which you can belong and be loved even before you believe until all have heard where true freedom lies. In Christ's name, amen.